This is Good King Hal's pod piece. You're listening to Series 1, Episode 7, where the King is in conversation with Cornish beauty and all-round heritage person, Annie Lucas. Do enjoy. In other words, keep listening. Ah, good evening. It is time for episode, oh, which one is it? Six, seven or eight, I can't remember. I think it's episode eight of Good King Hal's Pod Piece. You see what I did with the title there. It's very rude, very naughty, but we like it. And this evening, I am thrilled, charmed, and absolutely delighted to say that I'm talking to a very dear old friend of mine. Well, she's not that old, um, who I've known for many years. And she's a lovely lady. She works in the heritage industry through and through. She's got history coursing through her veins. And her name is the beautiful, delectable Annie Lucas. Hello, Annie. Hi. It's so nice to be here after all these years. Who I you? know. We haven't yeah. seen each other for a long time, have we? No. No, this is brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. Yes. So anyway, here I am. Hello. Here I am. Welcome, welcome. And can you let all our listeners, all the multitude, both of them, uh, whereabouts you are speaking to me from this very day? Where are you? Uh, so at the moment, I'm sitting on my sofa in my house in Cornwall. Uh, so I'm at the opposite end. I'm about as far away from you as I could probably get. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Without going to the Shetland Islands or something. Bonkers. That's right, because I'm actually in Soligorsk in Russia today. No, I'm not really. I'm, I'm in beautiful sunlit uplands of uh, Basildon in Essex, which, uh, as you know, is a contradiction in terms. Um, now, I first met you many, many years ago, probably about 10, 10 years ago, at uh, at Rochester Cathedral, wasn't it? I think where we first met. What was your job there? I can't remember. You were. So I was interpretation manager. That's right. There, and um, that was sort of my first job in the heritage sector. Actually, I'd had a career as a costume designer before that, and I'd sidestepped into the heritage sector uh, through a complete like obsession with history and sharing history and getting people excited about history. And, um, and I was working at Rochester as interpretation manager, which uh, contrary to popular belief has nothing to do with translating languages, uh, but is entirely to do with translating history and making history and the stories of a place accessible to the people that visit it. And that was, uh, I think, the first job I did at Rochester was with um, the wonderful Kiri Bloom. Uh, she was Anne of Cleves and I was Henriette because we were reinterpreting the day when Henry first clapped eyes upon poor old Anne of Cleves. We had you and then we had um, Hans Holbein as well. Hans Holbein was there as well. That's right, of course, yes, because he'd famously done the painting. A reenactment at, um, of, of the meeting, a kind of spoof reenactment for... Spoof? Um, Me? Yeah. <laughs> for the assembled public on both Rochester High Street, but also in the cathedral um, garth. And Kerry and I, we worked out a wonderful joke, which I still use in my live shows to this day, which was, uh, she walked up to me and I said, I'm not marrying you, you look like a horse. And she goes, nay. I said, look, you even sound like one. <laughs> a terrible joke. It was so much fun. It was one of, it was just... For me, actually, that whole event was um, a kind of sign that I'd landed in the right place. It is a magical place, Rochester Cathedral. If you've never been there, folks, Rochester Cathedral and Rochester Castle were cheap by jowl, and they're definitely, definitely worth finding out and going down there and having a look. Now, the first of my official questions to you, my lovely, and I, because I do like to not ambush my guests, I, I try to 
let them have a little bit of a run-up to my questions. So the first one is, so you obviously have this deep-seated love of history, as I do too, and what was it that first fired your interest? What was it? Was it a person? Was there an event? Was there something that really suddenly grabbed you as a small child and went, yes, history, this is for me? there's two things um there's two things really the um there's one very uh kind of clear very young memory i have that was definitely a kind of synapse firing event and that was going to canterbury cathedral with my dad as a very very small child and learning about the murder in the cathedral um and it's where Horrible Histories has been so great for kids, actually, because the thing that stuck with me from that visit was um, the kind of evidence that Thomas Beckett was a holy man mm -hmm. uh, by the fact that his hair shirt was riddled with lice. lice. <laughs> and um, and uh, the idea that this sort of disgusting thing was evidence that someone... Uh, was very pious was really weird to me as a child um, so the thing is if you judge somebody by how smelly their clothes are how ecclesiastical or holy they are then my son must be incredibly holy at least, <laughs> like, I mean, like, in the modern age it's just a bit bonkers isn't it yes um, but it totally it you know it totally captured my imagination and as a as a as a historical fact mm -hmm. you know, of all the things i learned at school of all the things that i learned growing up you know mm -hmm. i must have been maybe six when i went there with my dad and i'm 40 in december that has stuck that has stuck with me all my life vividly to the point where i can pretty much remember the moment where we were we were you know in the cathedral mm -hmm. and read the thing so that that was that that was the beginning of my love affair with cathedrals and i can't remember anything else about that visit other than that like hair shirt revealing moment um but my other route into history was um through historical costume because i trained mm -hmm. as a costume designer as I, as i said um and as a and as a child i was um obsessed with historical costume to the point where i would spend all my pocket money on curtains and fabrics and i'd be making you know 18th century clothes and on my sewing machine as a teenager and i'd be dressing up in the running around quoting lines from gone with the wind in my garden and you know the two things i wanted when i was 15 most was a corset and a crinoline i mean i was a totally bonkers teenager <laughs> <laughs> and there's something about historical dress and the way it which you know that the, it, the way it just tie, it's like the closest thing we've got to time travel mm, mm. And, um, and I and I wanted to learn you I felt connected to the people that wore those clothes and I wanted to learn about those people and the way they worked and I lived and related to each other and um, and I was completely obsessed with Jane Austen as a teenager and I made a I made a um, a, a, a Regency dress and Spencer jacket and bonnet and I wore it on a visit, randomly on a visit to Jane Austen's house in Chawton and I signed oh. his book Elizabeth Bennet. Oh, and, um, and I just, so, and I, and, I, and I took that love and I took it down the costume design route, but I think ultimately, although I love theatre and I love performance, what I loved about historical dress was the way it's like a window into yeah. various pieces of history. And, so, and, and don't, you, don't you find, I mean, I, I always find, doesn't matter which venue I go to when I'm being Henry, it never really kicks off me till I've got the costume on. Yeah. And it just makes such a difference. And suddenly you've got the costume on and suddenly 
you feel the part you you feel more in tune with the place yeah and it's quite it's, it's, it's odd trying to explain that to someone who's never done it it's it's yeah. very interesting when you you sort of say you know the costume is the thing yeah because it really is though and as you say it's exactly like a, a time travel thing it's it, it's like a portal you know yes. you put it on and suddenly physically you stand in a particular way and you hold your head in a particular way you can't be modern in a period costume you just can't it's impossible well you um, can do but children love it i mean if i'm doing a school and i dab yeah 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 particularly when i'm dressed as henry brings the house down every time it's the funniest thing any 10 year old's ever seen is henry Day dabbing um, and unfortunately, I can't <laughs> floss. I'm not, I'm not built for flossing, so uh, I don't do that very much. You have to work quite hard to do that. Like it, the easier thing when you're in the costume is to be Henry. Like, does it feel <laughs> like a bit of a non sequitur to suddenly come out of Henry and start? Being... No, but I, I, it depends on where I am and what I'm doing. Um, I mean, particularly with kids, and also if I'm particularly doing a comedy show as Henry, it's very easy to come out of character as Henry. I have to admit, it's. Um, um, I'm very naughty. I have certain sort of trigger words that I always send me off. So it's like, you know, if I, if I meet a couple and uh, quite often they'll, members of the public try and sort of say things like my liege or my lord or your eminence or something like that. And anybody says anything like eminence or my liege, my immediate thing is to look down towards my groin area and say, oh, is it showing? And then, oh no, sorry. And then and that's, it, it's just a sort of... <laughs> Not in primary schools, I hope. No, no, God, not at schools. No, God, I'd never work again. I mean, I'm not working at the moment anyway, but who cares? But the, other, the other thing you were saying that which I wanted to come back to just very briefly was you were saying about as a child, because children's minds and imaginations are so easily, what's the word? Filled is the wrong word, but sort of fed and nurtured. Um, that sometimes those very early experiences of a historical place will stay with you so much longer than other ones. And to me, I mean, one of my really, really abiding memories is of leaving very early from my parents' house in Essex to drive down to the West Country, down to Somerset, I think, where we were Dorset, we were going somewhere. And we stopped very early in the morning at Stonehenge. Yeah. And this was like about 1975, 74, 75, where my dad's powder blue Vic, Vauxhall Victor. And the Commodore's Easy was playing on the radio. I mean, I even remember that. But just stepping out of the car and there was still this dew on the grass. And you could just walk up to the stones and touch them and, and just, wow. And then we also stopped at Avebury as well. And it was, it was just it was an incredible day. It was, one, it was a beautiful, beautiful sunny day as well. I remember that. And that really stuck with me. And I remember being just in awe of the age of these stones and just... Yeah how many thousands of years they've been there and which other hands had touched them apart from mine. Anyway, I'm digressing, I'm digressing. No, but it's totally, I mean, I, I, I had moments like that in Rochester Cathedral where, mm. where because it's the, it's the second oldest cathedral foundation in the country. So, oh, well, I didn't know that, um, right. Yeah, so, so when, um, when the kind of Christian missionaries came to, uh, came to England, they started at Canterbury and they basically... Mm rest up so you got Canterbury and then you got Rochester right. and although the building is not the second oldest building the, the foundation the fact that there's been a cathedral there is the second oldest right. and, but the building itself is extremely old and I used to just you know I used to sit in that place sometimes and I was um in the building instead of in the office and just think like I can't get my head around the age of yeah. this and how many people have walked through here yeah worshipped here and got married here and have life transitions here and have their funerals here like it just over the course of a thousand years how 
how how crazy it is. How privileged we are to be there as well. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever been to Wells Cathedral in Somerset. There's a wonderful staircase there leading up to one of the meeting rooms. And it's a stone staircase. And it, it's so worn by steps yeah, that, yeah. that each step is this yeah. huge concave dip. And it, I just love that. It's yeah. such obviousness of history. So what jobs have you had in the heritage industry so far? I mean, apart from at Rochester, what other things have you done? So after um, after uh, my, well, actually partway through my contract at Rochester, I got married and relocated to Cornwall. As you do. As you do. Um, and, um, and I went back to Rochester as a consultant and wrote um, an accredited cathedral guide training program for them. Uh, which they needed and I think they still use. Um, and then I have done all sorts of things. I sort of got a bit of a name as a freelancer and I've done all sorts of things in the heritage sector, largely to do with audiences and audience development mm -hmm. and finding ways to tap into new to new audiences. So whether, whether that's um, a kind of, you know, in the heritage sector, the jargon is activity planning, but essentially that means what a place does um, to to engage an audience so mm -hmm. in, the, in the kind of classic example if you're going to a national trust house in the summer and they've got a series of um they've got a series of um events happening uh they might have period lawn games on the lawn and mm -hmm. they might have um kids activities in a tent and they might have a special exhibition in the house and they might have as part of that an evening where they've got guest speakers talking about particular artwork in their collection or what have you. All of that constitutes activity. Um, so I am quite heavily involved in looking at the history of a place, looking at whether or not a, a place is, is reaching the people it wants to reach and helping them come up with ways to reach those people. And very often that's lottery funded or Arts Council funded, but mostly heritage lottery funded. Um, and then at the opposite end of the spectrum, I might go onto a project at the end of the project and then evaluate it. So go back and reflect on whether or not it's done that successfully, which is not nowhere near as creative. And the creative stuff is the stuff that gets my juices flowing. But it is very interesting sure. to 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 kind of work with the team, but also to speak to the people that have engaged with the project to find out what they got out of it. And sometimes it can be quite, quite moving. And is this the company Cultural Vitality? Is that the, is that yeah, your yes, and is that is that your company or is it? Yeah, Cultural Vitality is me. Right. Um, and then I have a number of associates who come on board when um, I've got projects that I need um, assistance or particularly specialist expertise on. Um, and I called it Cultural Vitality because um, everything I do is about the kind of lifeblood of the cultural mm. sector. Um, it's really important to me. And also because I think my background in theatre gives me quite a unique perspective on the heritage sector mm. that, um, that, that, that sometimes is missed. Excellent. Well, do, do remember your old friends next time you're doing anything Tudor. I, I, or, do you know, Mike, I think about you so often. I think about you so often. And, um, but I just, I haven't done anything Tudor for, for so long. Get up with it. <laughs> I, know, I need to find something. Um, I've been, I've been, I've been stuck doing kind of really like not historical stuff just lately, much more cultural stuff. But, um, uh, the Tudor period is, I mean, a Tudor job would be a dream job because the Tudor period is my favorite period. Right. In 
just love it. Um, oh, so, what I'll do is I'll get them to TripAdvisor and I'll go to all the places in Cornwall I can possibly find and say, very good, but you should have some Tudor days. Yes. And see what they say. That would work. <laughs> I'll bombard them with emails till they employ me. That's what I normally do. Anyway. So, obviously, Tudor is your era, but if you could have any job in the heritage industry, anything at all, literally, the sky was the limit, what would you like to do? What would be your ideal position? Um, well, I have to say, I think because I have a love of theatre and performance, I would secretly, I think I'm probably a frustrated reenactor. <laughs> Um, plenty, plenty of those around yeah um, uh, but I also am um, I'm also very envious quite often of curators who get yes. to kind of safeguard collections and handle collections and learn about collections and drill down into the whys and the wherefores and become experts in mm. the things in their care uh, and and I would I would love to do something like that. I I really really I I did when I was doing my masters. I got um, access to uh, a, a collection in um, Nottingham mm -hmm. that was the archive of Symington's, which is an old corset factory, right. and it and it was the most amazing just box after box of corset and then things to do with corset making and the kind of copper busts that they used to mold the corsets onto and and i just i just like i was in my element and i was so like in enamored of the curator of that collection because sure. i was able to just um oh i just I just wanted to be around those things all day, every day, just looking at them and learning I about them. I know exactly what you mean. I, I remember a few years ago, first time I ever did a show at um, Taunton Castle Museum, uh, obviously in Taunton, and meeting Steve Minnett, who was the um, chief archaeologist for Somerset, the Somerset region. Lovely, lovely guy who's retired fairly recently. And just saying to him, you know, all the wonderful stuff you've got on display. And he was like, well, come and look at this. And he took me into the back rooms and to the storerooms and just the stuff in there that wasn't on display. And I was just, oh, my God. And I could have spent just all day in there. I'd, I'd been quite happy just doing that rather than dressing up as Henry and doing a show out the front. But what was really, really wonderful was about a year or so later, I was on BBC Somerset Radio doing an interview. I was being interviewed by one of the presenters. And the guy on before me was Steve Minnett again. And he had with him what's called the Pretty Treasure, which is um, some basically Bronze Age gold bangles that were found in a grave in Pretty in Somerset. And he's talking to the co-presenter, and I'm sitting in the green room, supposed to be being, being quiet and out of the way. And then he suddenly revealed that he actually had them in his hand. He was in the studio holding them. <laughs> boom, boom, I'm down the stairs. So I'm knocking on the studio door. Could I come in? And they let me in. I got to handle the, the pretty treasure. Oh, actually, and it was just like, oh, God, it was just fantastic. Yeah. Touching something that old and that precious. Yeah. You know, it was like going out with Jean Jacques Gabor. It was amazing, really. I old and precious. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... Um, so have you got, <laughs> the final question is great actually, have you got room to work with an ageing Henry Day lookalike at some point in the future? Well, I think we've covered that one already. Always. Always. I always have room for you, Mike. Always. Oh, bless you. It's only because I've got the negative still and I can blackmail you. But... <laughs> <laughs> My husband's in the other room. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, Chris. I didn't mean it. 
<laughs> it'd be great to work with you again in the future because it, it was fun in the past we had such a laugh down at rochester i do remember coming down when i was i had to stand in for jules holland were you still there when that happened uh, no, I think that was after I left. It was after you, Jules Holland had recorded a, a audio guide for people yeah. to go around Rochester Cathedral, and he was due to come down and cut the ribbon and open this exhibition. At the last minute, he couldn't do it, and one of the other guys rushed to phone me up and said, "Can I come and cut the ribbon instead of Jules Holland as Henry VIII?" So I came down, and it was great. Um, I had all the press there, and I had to cut this ribbon with a pair of giant scissors and all this sort of nonsense. And then they gave me a bottle of champagne to open. And I had to fire the cork in front of the cameras. And it's not easy to do it on cue. Yeah. But you had the coolest ever verger working at the cathedral at that time. Because I had all the press around me. I had this bottle of champagne. I had to look at the cameras dressed as Henry and go pop and fire the cork. And I did it. And it shot off across the open space of the cathedral. And just at that moment, this verger walked around the corner and... He didn't even bat an eyelid. He just put a hand out and caught the cork. With it seemed like he didn't even look. He just went, caught it, and just went, yeah. And he's like, whoa, that is a cool verger. That was. <laughs> They're a good team, the vergers at Rochester. Actually, they were really <laughs> hang out in their office quite often. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get to the silly questions because we always do this at the end of the the, uh, the chat. I, I then ambush my my guests by asking them five ridiculous questions that mean nothing it's usually things like would you prefer a chocolate eclair or a donut if you were offered it things like that. So something as exciting as that so um if i can read my own handwriting i'll see what i've scribbled down as your questions favorite movie ever oh uh probably gone with the wind i had a feeling you were going to say that purely because of what you'd said earlier that's cool um friends or frazier oh friends Oh dear, I'm afraid we have to stop being friends then. <laughs> no, I just, I am afraid a child of the 90s, well I'm a child of the 80s and I was a teen in the 90s. Well, so. I've, I've got a wonderful story to make you very, very jealous very quickly in that um, I was doing some filming as Henry at a TV studio in South London and I was sitting having a break from the filming, having some lunch, so I'm still dressed as Henry sitting at this table eating with some of these, um, the floor, floor managers and the studio managers with me and sitting there eating and all of a sudden they all went oh oh these three women and i was like well and this big american voice went yo henry and i looked around <laughs> there was this big tall very american massive teeth bronzed person standing there and he's going nice outfit henry and he <laughs> shook my hand and crashed it. i was like yeah thanks mate so i think off he walked carried on eating my lunch and these women were all like oh oh and i was like well they went don't you know who that was not a clue they went that was matt leblanc and i was like was it and I didn't know who Matt LeBlanc was because I never watched an episode of Friends in my life. And I only found out who he was when he was on Top Gear. Oh. Because <laughs> he came on and I was like, oh, that was the bloke I shook hands with at the studio. <laughs> so there you go. Friends, right here. Red or white wine? Uh, red. Oh, Always. we are reconciled. We're back together. <laughs> right. Can't, still can't read my handwriting. Ideal holiday destination? Uh, Japan. Oh, really? Been there before? No, and I'm desperate to go. Really. What, what is it about Japan, then? What, what's... It's, uh, it's literally everything. The food, the culture, the design. Um, I, just, I just think it's an absolutely fascinating culture. Like, everything I see that comes out of Japan is just incredibly designed. Well, it's really in your face, isn't it? It's really, yeah. you know, yeah. 
I'd like to go to Japan too, mate. I'd like to go to Japan and be Henry VIII out there. I think I'd yeah, be fabulous. Yeah, but they lap you up. You should do it, right? There we go. And the final one, you've got to be very careful on this one, whether we're still friends or not. Star Trek, Star Wars, or Doctor Who? Uh, all of them. Okay, I'll forgive you on that one. That's okay. That's fair <laughs> enough. You're supposed to say Doctor Who, but don't worry. You, you, you can survive on that. Oh, Annie, darling, it has been an absolute delight talking to you this evening and oh. so nice to see you as well. I haven't seen you in the flesh, as I say, for about 10 years, but it's nice to see you on the screen. Oh, well, it's lovely to see you. Thanks so much for having me along. It's been a lot of fun. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being another victim guest on Good King Hal's pod piece. You've been listening to Good King Hal's pod piece with myself, Good King Hal, Mike Farley. I've been talking to Annie Lucas, the most wonderful human being on the face of the planet at this very moment, because she appeared to agree to be on my programme. And if you enjoyed listening to the show, um, please spread the word, share this around. If you want to make a donation, go onto the PayPal page. You can do that as well, because at the moment, the king is so poor, he's currently having to um, basically rent out his cod pieces, housing for people, and it's not very nice, and they don't really want to be in there. But he has to do it at the moment. He has to do it. But... Tune in again shortly for another Good King House pod piece. To Annie Lucas, thank you. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.